The views and opinions of this program are those of its host and guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of 90.1 FM, KKFI, Midcoast Radio Project, or its staff and volunteers. Gratitude goes out to you today for listening to Eco Radio KC on 90.1 FM KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. This is a locally made exploration into positive solutions to some of today's ecological challenges for all of us working to create a healthier future for our communities and for the world you live in. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. My name is Darnell. Today on Eco Radio KC, host Terry Wilkie will speak with Tony Mendoza, senior attorney with the Sierra Club's Environmental Law Program. He is based in California. Tony Mendoza is the Sierra Club's senior attorney who advocates for clean energy in the central United States. Tony received his Bachelor of Arts degree and Juris Doctor degree from Yale. University. Before joining Sierra Club, Tony worked at a law firm in Washington, D.C. Tony grew up in Virginia's Shenandoah Valley. He enjoys fly fishing for wild trout, bird watching, and playing soccer. Tony Mendoza addressed the Kansas City, Missouri Environmental Management Commission on July 12, 2023. The Kansas City, Missouri Environmental Management Commission shall promote environmental awareness and resource efficiency to the city's elected leaders and staff to assist the progress of Kansas City towards sustainability. Tony Mendoza's topic to the Kansas City, Missouri Environmental Management Commission was the Inflation Reduction Act. Opportunities for local governments. The President's Inflation Reduction Act, IRA, of 2022 makes the single largest investment in climate and energy in American history, enabling America to tackle the climate crisis, advancing environmental justice, securing America's position as a world leader in domestic clean energy manufacturing, and putting the United States on a pathway to achieving the Biden-Harris administration's climate climate goals, including a net zero economy by 2050. We are all in this together, and it will take all of us to make the world safe for human habitation for millennia to come. Let's learn how this IRA works for our communities. We at Equal Radio are glad to encourage awareness and protection of our world. Our goal is to ensure our listeners are aware of how we can create a sustainable present for a sustainable future. Now, our show. Good evening. It's Terry Wilkie. My guest is Tony Mendoza. He's with the National Sierra Club out of California. Hello, Tony. Hello, Terry. Nice to be with you. Well, I can't thank you enough for being with us. Listeners may be aware that I, for one, am very interested in the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act. For our purposes today, Tony and I will refer to the act as the IRA. Hereafter, we'll say IRA. This is the most significant action Congress has taken on clean energy and climate change in the nation's history. 
American leadership has passed the IRA to confront the existential threat of the climate crisis and set forth a new era of American innovation and ingenuity to lower consumer costs and drive the global clean energy economy forward. I believe the funds available under the IRA are a figure of more than $50 billion. Tony, do you know the numbers? So I think when the Congressional Budget Office measured the impact of the IRA around when it was passed in August 2022, they estimated that the total grants and tax credit fundings for clean energy would be about $350 billion nationwide. But since then, they've updated that analysis and are now projecting that it'll be $500 billion or more. And actually, because a lot of the funding that is in is of the nature of tax credits, which are unlimited, you know, any homeowner, for example, could put on solar panels on their house and get a tax credit. And so it's a little hard to project exactly, but I think a lot of analysts are projecting that the impact will be more than $500 billion over the 10 years that the programs are in place. And so it's a to put it mildly, it's a very big deal for climate action in the United States. Thank you for that. That's a very big deal. Now, Tony, you spoke to the Kansas City, Missouri Environmental Management Commission on July 12th of 2023. And many listeners probably got a chance to hear you, but not everyone listening got to attend your presentation. And so we at Eco Radio KC have asked you to provide an outline of the opportunities for local governments. Are you willing to do this? I would be very happy to, yes. We're going to emphasize timeframes left and contacts for people to get a hold of some of these federal tax dollars. Yes. So I'm going to start with your overview with climate and EG. EJ Grants. And listeners, Tony and I will not just speak in acronyms. EJ stands for Environmental Justice Grants. So let's start it go. What is environmental justice? So uh, environmental justice is basically the idea that certain communities in this country have not um, receive the full benefit of the prosperity of this country over the years. And so certain communities, often communities of color, low income folks have often been, for example, um, had some of the most polluting resources put in their areas. Um, you know, the chemical belt of um, petrochemical plants down near New Orleans is one example of that. Um, I'm not sure if I just gave the textbook definition of environmental justice, but... No, you did a very good job. I think that's fine. Now then, there's a million acronyms in this um, legislation. Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, GGRF. Has the time passed for that? What is that? What is that? What is that? So the time has not passed. The Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund is a component of the IRA, the Inflation Reduction Act that we're here to talk about. And basically a lot of the, so there's a few different components of the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund. One of the main components is to set up national green banks, which will then fund clean energy projects in communities, including in Kansas and Missouri, um, to do things like decarbonization of buildings, clean electricity, clean transportation. 
And so that's one big chunk of the greenhouse gas reduction fund. Um, and so one thing I would say is that for Missouri and Kansas, it's important to set up local and statewide green banks that can receive that funding and spend it in the communities. And I want to highlight also that for the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, and I'm sorry, there are just a lot of initialisms in not only environmental law, but certainly Congress used a lot of them here in this statute. And I, you can't blame me for that, Terry, but we have to work our way through them. Anyways, uh, there's also this these entities called CDFIs, Community Development Financial Institutions. And there are dozens of them in Missouri, and I think around a dozen in Kansas, and they're already existing, and they do things like affordable housing and economic development. But now they'll be able to receive clean energy funding from these national green banks that are gonna be set up by EPA through the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund. And so that's one part. But then I wanna talk about another part of the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, which is called Solar for All. And that's just more like a grant program, or it is a grant program. And there's two entities, that are well in missouri the entity that is leading and that is likely to implement that program is the state environmental environmental improvement and energy resources authority of the state of missouri and in kansas the lead entity is the kansas housing resources corporation and i hope i said those exactly right i tried to both of those entities have filed notices with epa saying that they would like to run the solar for all program in Missouri and Kansas, respectively. And Solar for All is a program that's going to install rooftop solar, battery storage, energy efficiency, and kind of related home upgrades for low-income and disadvantaged folks in all of those states. Well, I think you're doing an excellent job, and I want to remind the listeners that we do podcast the show. So that's a downloadable podcast, and you can listen to it again and again and try to get this information out. That way you can go to meetings or to government and speak in their language and have a better response or a stronger response probably. So green banks and then CDFIs are community development what? Community Development Financial Institutions. Okay, so am I supposed to open a green bank? Like how? So I don't know if you personally should open one, Terry, but the the states of Missouri and Kansas should set one up. If, you know, if the legislature and the governor could agree to do that, that would be great. Cities and counties are often able to do those also. So I would highly recommend that leaders in the Kansas City area, or if I was on the other side of the state in St. Louis, um, I would suggest they look into that. But then even more important, or equally important, is to talking to the CDFIs that already exist in the, in both states and making sure they're up, updating their websites, um, letting people know that this funding is coming to the, those communities. And then I, I think a, it, putting those bank programs aside, for folks who want to make sure that they're community is won't be left behind from solar for all i highly recommend that folks reach out to their state agency that's in the lead and again uh, for kansas that agency is the kansas housing resources corporation and then for missouri it's the state environmental improvement and energy resources authority and so both of those two agencies are going to be running solar for all programs in the respective states and it's important that 
no region of the state is left behind and that low-income folks around both of those two states get access to rooftop solar. Uh, Thank you, Tony. Now, there's just two more things on this climate and EJ grants. The Mm -hmm. EJ block grants, is that still open to people? It is still open. And so EPA is, the last I heard, they're going to publish the funding opportunity later this month and you'll notice there's only about a week left in october and so so that's on their website epa.gov yes Mm -hmm. and so if you want to find this program they they've rebranded it as the community change grants and so if you just googled epa community change grants you could find the website um these grants are are for nonprofit organizations that work in a community on pollution issues and so Unlike the programs we were talking about before with the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund, this is targeted at nonprofit groups. So an environmental justice group in Kansas City, for example, or maybe an African-American church in Kansas City. Um, and the community change grants are, are all about reducing pollution that's causing harm to folks. Most of the Inflation Reduction Act is about climate change and greenhouse gas emissions which of course cause harm to folks, but that's not the only type of environmental harm. So if there was say a community group in Kansas City that wanted to do something on lead pipes or lead paint or indoor air toxics, or let's say there's a school that has a pollution issue and it's harming low-income children. The idea of community change grants is to put money in the hands of local nonprofits that are doing work in communities to reduce the harms caused by pollution. And so if folks are listening are aware of a community group that wants to get involved in that, they could either reach out to Sierra Club and we can help direct them in the right way or go to EPA's website um, and look for community change grants. And as you were saying, Terry, this funding opportunity is still open. EPA will be accepting applications for about a year, but like a lot of things, whoever applies first has a chance to you know get the money first. Um, and we'll be happy to talk about more detail about those change grants, but there are a huge opportunity for community groups to get funding to do pollution reduction, pollution prevention, pollution mitigation work. Well, thank you for that. My name is Terry Wilkie, and tonight I'm talking with Tony Mendoza. He's a senior attorney with the Sierra Club, and we're talking about the IRA. There's just one more thing, and we don't have time, but when we come back, we're going to make it perfectly clear to people what clean energy credits are all about. So stay tuned. Here at KKFI, we believe that every voice counts, especially when it comes to uplifting our communities. That's why we're excited to announce our Community Voices series. If you or your organization are actively working towards positive change, we want to hear from you. Take this opportunity to share your initiatives with a broader audience. Submit your information now at kkfi.org forward slash community voices and let your story for positive change be heard. Okay, so when we knocked off for the public service announcement, we had not yet talked about clean energy credits, or Tony, maybe you think we did uh, explain no, no, that. That's a whole different topic, and we should talk about it if you I think it's an important topic. And so the clean energy credits, when the Inflation Reduction Act or the IRA was passed back in last August, this was the talked about in the press as like, oh, the utilities are going to have all this money to build clean energy and we're going to have a cleaner grid and less pollution and a better economy. And that is true. Um, But there's parts of it that apply to folks who aren't utilities. And so 
there was this concept that was added in the Inflation Reduction Act that's called direct pay, which means if you're a nonprofit entity, you can get the same value from building clean energy as a for-profit entity, entity like Evergy, which is a for-profit utility, um, as you all know, that serves the Kansas City area. Um, before the Inflation Reduction Act, you couldn't take advantage of these programs as well if you were a nonprofit, but now you can. And so if you're, say, a local government, which local governments are not for-profit businesses, or let's say you're a school, either a private school or a public school, or let's say you're a house of worship, a church or a synagogue or a mosque. Let's say you wanted to build solar um, to, to provide clean energy to your building. You could now you know, build that project, contract for that project, have someone build it, and then you can file a tax return-like document at the Treasury Department, and then they will write you a check for the value that you would have gotten if you were a for-profit entity. And so that concept of now the tax credits are now available to nonprofit entities like local governments, universities, schools, any nonprofit really. Um, I think that's going to be a game changer in allowing more entities um, to build clean energy. And usually we're talking about solar because that's usually the easiest thing to build at a school um, or at a church or at a synagogue. Um, but it would the same would apply for wind, and I would be remiss not to mention wind in Kansas, which is or, a very know, windy board. state. Yes, a very windy <laughs> state, among the windiest in the world. Um, some of the best wind and solar resources in Kansas, and so Kansas is blessed with some of the you know the best resources for getting to 100% clean electricity of any state. And Missouri is also has very good solar resources and some wind. So, but anyways. A big change in the clean energy credits is now nonprofits can take advantage of them. There's also this other concept where you get 10% adders to your credit if you use domestic content. And so domestic built solar panels, domestic built wind turbines, if you install domestic built components like that, then your project gets 10% more tax credit, which is pretty cool. It helps, it's going to help drive jobs in the US. Um, good wage jobs. And so that's going to be good for the sustainability of the energy transition. And then there's also this idea in the Inflation Reduction Act, which is a little bit wonky, but we'll go there, Terry, um, this concept of energy communities. So energy communities are places that have historically had a lot of fossil fuel related employment, like a coal plant or a coal mine. Um, and there's a website, the Department of Energy has a website which shows you where exactly those energy communities are. Um, but basically, if you build a clean energy project in an energy community, you get another 10% added to your tax credit, whether you're a for-profit entity or a non-profit entity. And so I, I looked at the map and in the Kansas City metro area, there are some energy communities kind of um, west of town in Kansas and then also east of town in Missouri. Um, and there are a lot of energy communities in throughout Missouri, where coal plants have retired or coal mines have closed. Um, and there are some in Kansas as well. And so I would expect over these next 10 years that m clean energy is going to be built in those areas, which will be good for helping to replace jobs from retiring coal plants, retiring mines, um, and also helps to create another incentive. Well, yeah, it'll help drive more investment into those communities, basically. Thank you for that, Tony. And thank you for taking the time to explain this to people. Now, listeners, 
we are all aware of places in the greater Kansas City where buried pollution bubbles to the top of the soil. Where, at, where there were auto plants on the Missouri Blue River side, that's a very contaminated, not contaminated enough for the EPA to call it a brownfield. But if anybody listening has ever talked to the EPA about areas that they believe should be called a brownfield, these areas, these contaminated areas, are eligible for an extra percent of clean energy credits. And re, let's restate ourselves, Tony. The clean energy credits are used to use that polluted area to build wind turbines and solar arrays. Is this correct? Yes, what you said is exactly right. And so I, under that umbrella of energy community, so that's a term under the Inflation Reduction Act. Energy community, you get extra credit. And one way to be an energy community is a history of fossil fuel employment or retired coal mines or retired coal plants. And another one, which I'm glad you brought up, is a brownfield. And so both the state government in Kansas and the state government in Missouri, and sometimes UPA, US EPA, as you said, Terry, will designate certain lands as brownfields. And any land that is so designated is a great place to install a community solar project or just, or depending on its size, maybe a uti utility scale solar project. Um, you, you get that 10% extra credit, uh, clean energy credit for your solar or wind, or I should mention battery storage projects could also go there and still get the 10% extra credit. So a lot of, as you know, Terry, a lot of those are, those <laughs> lands are located within city limits because of the history of it, industry in Kansas city. And, you know, similarly across the state in St. Louis, um, across so the, the United States, <laughs> across the United States, frankly, yes. So those will be great places to put usually smaller solar projects because those are usually relatively small pieces of land. But absolutely, the brownfields are in, there's extra incentives to install solar, wind and batteries on, on brownfields. Well, it would be nice to have the battery storage in the urban area. That's for sure. And so th that's very, very good to know now. I would have to have a business that installed solar arrays and wind turbines. Is that true to get this well, clean energy credit? So Evergy, which is the lo local utility, could install solar on those brownfields, for example, and then they could seek the tax credits through, you know, their they file taxes with the IRS, of course. But if a nonprofit in the community wanted to do it, they could do the same. So if there was a church or another house of worship or a school, um, makes me a little sad to think that there are schools near Brownfields, but I suspect that there are, unfortunately. Um, so one of the real, one of the really great things about the Inflation Reduction Act is that it's a it's eliminated this distinction between for-profit and non-profit entities and their ability to build clean energy. And so it would take some entity, even the the local government could decide to do it and and get a tax credit for building solar on um, a brownfield. And um, as far as the actual mechanics of building it, they would have to hire a contractor, of course, to um, install those solar panels. And I should mention that the solar for going back a few programs, a, a few grant programs that we're talking about, the solar for all programs are going to have money for workforce training for low income 
folks. Right. You are reading my mind, Tony. So I was going to ask you, there is provision for creation of jobs and training for jobs. And where do people go to learn about where these things are available in our greater area? So I have to be, of course, honest that I don't think that's available yet because the solar for all programs have not fully been stood up in Missouri, but both the state, those two, I won't say them again, because if folks want to listen, they could just listen to the podcast, but there's an entity, there's a housing authority in Kansas and an economic development authority in Missouri that have both applied for solar for all and are, in my opinion, likely to get a a large grant of around, I think in Missouri is a little bit of a bigger state population wise, so the Missouri will get more. I think Missouri will probably get about $200 million and Kansas probably about $100 million just roughly. And that money can be used to install solar panels on low income folks' homes. But some of the money is also gonna go towards job training. And for, cause these panels can't install themselves. There needs to be folks who, there. we need folks around the country who are trained in how to, do solar installations. It's a huge need. It's also a huge economic opportunity. Um, So I would expect soon that both the Missouri and Kansas programs will be stood up and that there will be workforce training um, paid for essentially by the federal government. There's another program that we haven't talked about yet, which is called the Climate Pollution Reduction Grants Program. And for that program, both the state of Missouri and the state of Kansas accepted money But I want to mention that the regional council for Kansas City also has a grant. You would know this better than me, Terry, but I believe it's the Mid-America Regional Council, MARC. We call it MARC, Mid-America Regional Council. Mm. So MARC has a planning grant. Next year, they're going to have an opportunity to apply to US EPA for an implementation grant. And one thing that they could include, and I would highly recommend that they include, is funding for job training for solar work and also energy efficiency work because i think those are going to be two areas that are, could be a, if, if we don't do the job training that we need that those could be bottlenecks for building out the clean energy economy we want and so i would ask mark to look hard at including that money in their application and i think mark has public meetings and I think a person can go to their website and learn when their meetings are. And you're completely welcome to come in and at the public comment section, ask questions about solar for all. So you say that Mark has access to solar for all funds. So it's a little bit more complicated than that. <laughs> So Mark, I would say it's always a little bit more complicated. I'm sorry. But so Mark has climate pollution reduction grants funding, which is a program to do kind of what the name sounds like planning to come up with a plan to reduce pollution, both. Well, in the one hand, Mark is doing a metro area plan and then the state governments both have their plan planning. But what I would say for Mark's purposes is, is that, well, they're a stakeholder in the solar for all discussion. Um, I would encourage folks to go to those Mark meetings and just ask what Mark is doing to ensure there's enough solar training and energy efficiency workforce training, and they can seek funding for that from EPA through their own funding stream in the CPRG grants program. 
C, and I apologize, everyone, I have a cold, obviously. C-P-R-G. Yes. Climate Reduction, re, no, climate, say that again, spell it out for us. It's the Climate Pollution Reduction Grants Program. Okay, Climate Pollution Reduction Grants Program. Yeah, thank you for that. Okay. As part of that program, both the Mid-American Council and the council that covers St. Louis. I'm sorry, I keep mentioning St. Louis. And I realize no, it's I'm talking good. To- we have listeners in St. Louis, and I want to say, shout out to you. That's what you're doing, Tony. Good. Okay, good. So they have a council over there called the East-West Council of Governments, I think. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have the exact name, but it's a similar regional council of local governments. And both the Kansas City region and the St. Louis region have received a planning grant from EPA. And in the spring of next year, they can apply for a greenhouse gas reduction implementation grant. And so I would encourage folks who live in those regions to ask your council. So in this in the Kansas City area, as you said, it's Mark, M-A-R-C. Um, ask them, you know, are you seeking all the funds you can possibly think of for clean electricity, for tr- clean transportation, for clean buildings? But then also ask, what about job training? Are we making sure we're getting all the clean energy job training funds that are available? Because there's a lot of money available and it's kind of important that there's a lot on the plates of local government folks. And so I don't want to say that, you know, from what I can tell, the people in the Kansas City metro area are working as hard as they can. And so not at all disparaging them. And I don't think that was implied, but I do want to say it's important to call on your local government leaders to take advantage of this IRA money while it's on the table, this is a once in a generation opportunity. And so we want to make sure Kansas City gets all the money that, you know, the community needs. And I think you told me that it's on the table through early 2024, correct? So that's yes. For the CPRG program, for the Climate Pollution Reduction Grants program, I believe the application deadline for implementation grants is April 1st, 2024. And so for that program, you have time to talk to your local government leaders, but you know that deadline is what, about six months away. And you're right, Tony. Listeners, you know local government likes to hear what the taxpayers want and need. And so you have free reign to go to meetings. You can go to meetings virtually now and give your opinion as a citizen and ask these very smart questions, and so good on you. So um, we're going to take our second break, Tony, and my name's Terry Wilkie with a very bad voice. (laughs) I'm talking to Tony Mendoza. He's a senior attorney with the National Sierra Club. And Tony, you're doing a great job in helping us navigate this very complicated federal act, the IRA, and I want to thank you for that. You're welcome. I'm happy to be here. Okay, well, we're going to be right back after this break. Tell me, Harold, what do you do for fun? What activity gives you a different sense of enjoyment from the others? Uh, What do you find fulfilling? What gives you that special satisfaction? I go to funerals. Tune in every Thursday. Radio Nico Pisa.
Here's a calendar for the week of 1023. In Platte County, Missouri, Eastern Jackson County, Wyandotte County, or KCMO, the Kansas City Plogtober Cleanup is a great way to get outdoors and exercise. The event will take place throughout October across dozens of parks around the Kansas City region. Sign-ups are now open at cleanwaterkcmetro.org. Volunteer with Bridging the Gap. Various times are available on October 25th through October 27th. Contact bridgingthegap.org. Neighborhood associations, community groups, students, city staff, and others will volunteer at litter and trash pickup events across the city with the support from multiple city departments. KCMO will provide bags, gloves, and trash bag pickup. Everyone is invited to pick a location and pitch in. See the list of locations and event details, and to register, go to kcparks.org. Wednesday, October 25th, work and learn to remove invasive brush honeysuckle at the Anita B. Gorman Conservation Discovery Center located in Kansas City, Missouri, southwest of Emanuel Cleaver Boulevard and Troost Avenue. Call 816-759-7300 for more information. Wednesday, October 25th, noon to 1, is a webinar. What is an energy code anyway? Policymakers hold the key to better buildings. You may be wondering what exactly is an energy code, what code has your municipality adopted, and why. To register, go to metroenergy.org. Thursday, October 26th, 6 to 8, Green Drinks KC, Reducing Food Waste. You can join Green Drinks KC for a discussion on reducing food waste as part of our ongoing series looking at the top climate solutions. It will be held at Project Living Proof, 917 Cleaver 2 Boulevard, KC Mo. To learn more, visit the Green Drinks KC Meetup page. Saturday, October 28th, 8 to 9 or 9.30 to 10.30, Heartland Conservation Alliance invites you to a bird walk at the Anita B. Gorman Discovery Center, 4750 Troost Avenue. The event is free and no experience is required. Fun for all ages and abilities. Please dress appropriately for the weather. Not required, but you may choose to bring binoculars, a notebook with your bird list, and any other bird identifying items. Questions or comments? Contact Jay Lynn at heartlandconservationalliance.org. Saturday, October 28, 2.30 to 4.30, Forest Spa Day. The Missouri Department of Conservation will host this outdoor event at Oakwoods Conservation Nature Center, 1401 Northwest Park Road, Blue Springs, Missouri. Participants will learn about the many ways trees and forests help people, and they will visit the four sensory stations to experience the forest in a new way. For more information, visit mdc.mo.gov. Also Saturday, October 28th, 10 to 2, come one, come all to the Mannheim Gardens Harvest Festival, 4229 Forest Avenue, Kansas City, Missouri, a celebration of the season's bounty and a job well done. Monday, October 30th, 9.30 to 10.30 a.m., Make a Difference Monday, Paseo Boulevard Weekly Cleanup will meet at 57th and Paseo Boulevard. Registration is required. To register, go to kcparks.org. Stay involved. You can watch your local politics for environmental issues. My name is Liz. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. And my name is Terry Wilkie, and I'm lucky tonight I'm talking with Tony Mendoza. He's a senior attorney for the National Sierra Club. Tony, while we were on break, we got a call from a gentleman who asked the question, does any of this tax money apply to 
new windows for older houses. And I, does it? So, yes. So there's two different rebate programs for homeowners. Um, although there's a there's a catch, but the the rebate programs I'll, I'll just say the initialism. It's like the word homes, H O M E S, and then there's a separate rebate program. You, you say it Hera, but it's spelled H E E R A. Okay, now you and have to say it again. Would you be so good? H-O-M-E-S. And then the second one is called H-E-E-R-A. Um, and those two programs are homeowner rebate programs for energy efficiency and for clean appliances like induction stoves or heat pumps. The trick, the tr unlike, there, there's a catch though, and it's a significant one. Unlike all the other programs in the Inflation Reduction Act, individual companies or individual people can take advantage of them, those other programs or local governments or nonprofits. But these homeowner rebate programs, only the state government can accept them or not. And so the state of Missouri has to decide whether they're going to accept that funding for Missouri. And the lead agency for that is the Missouri Department of um, I want to make sure I get it right. I wrote this down. Department of Natural Resources. So Missouri DNR. And then in Kansas, it's the Kansas Energy Office, which is a subdivision of the Kansas Corporation Commission. And it's it's like an on-off switch. If the if those state governments accept the programs, then homeowners can get a, a point of sale rebate um, for different clean energy appliances or energy efficiency um, projects, which I believe do include high efficiency windows. Um, but those programs have not been, to my knowledge, neither the state of Missouri nor the state of Kansas has said whether they will accept or reject that funding. It's become a little bit of a political lightning rod in the country. Um, Ron DeSantis, who, of, of course, you all know is running for president right now, has said that Florida is not going to accept that money, which is a huge loss for the people of Florida. Um, if you are interested in having your state accept this money, or even if you want to take advantage of those home rebates yourself, which I think a lot of folks would like to do, I would encourage you to reach out to the Missouri, if you live in Missouri, to the Missouri Department of Natural Resources and just say, I want, if you believe that, I would just encourage you to say, hey, I want you to accept the home rebate funding for clean appliances and electrification and energy efficiency projects. And then the same thing in Kansas, but it's a different agency, the Kansas Energy Office, which is a part of the Kansas Corporate Corporation Commission. You know, in retrospect, I think it might have been a good idea if when Congress wrote that law, they said, well, if states don't want the money, then we'll give it to the cities within that state, which is how some of the other parts of the Inflation Reduction Act work. But for these homeowner rebate programs, it's really, it, that isn't an option. It's either the state government says yes and agrees to administer the program, or the state is entirely left behind and that funding will go to other states. And so um, I believe the timeline for that is still, you know, there's still about a, a year or even maybe a little bit more for the state to decide whether it wants to accept it or not. Um, but I would highly encourage any folks to reach out to your state, those state agencies I mentioned, um, to to encourage them to accept the money. I mean, it's a really good deal for the state of Missouri and Kansas to get federal tax dollars, which will then pay for 
you know, induction stoves, energy efficiency projects, new windows, new insulation, all those things that reduce energy costs and reduce the burning of gas in homes in particular. And I'm I'm sorry, tell me one more time what the name of this is when we call. Um, Terry, I'll tell you as many times as you'd like. <laughs> um, um, and as I said earlier, there's so many different initialisms and names in this program that it's bewildering for anyone. Okay, so the two programs are called Homes and HERA, and those are both initialisms for rebate programs that are being managed by the U.S. Department of Energy. They have the money and they're going to grant it to the states that accept it. But as far as I know, as of recently, Missouri and Kansas have not taken made a decision. And the agency in Kansas is called the Kansas Energy Office, which is a part of the Kansas Corporation Commission. And then in Missouri, the agency is just Missouri DNR. And I'm not sure which division within Missouri DNR DNR it is, but I think if folks just reach out or go to the DNR website, they would be able to track that down. And to the extent folks in Missouri or Kansas want the state government to accept that funding, um, which again is not, or I didn't say this, but there's no matching requirement. The state doesn't have to put up any of its own money. It's all federal money that would go directly into the pockets of homeowners who install clean energy appliances and all, all those different things we were talking about. And so I would highly encourage folks who are interested in making sure that that money goes to your state to talk to your state government and just ask them to accept the HOMES, H-O-M-E-S, and the HERA, H-E-E-R-A, rebate programs. And thank you. And start at your city and ask oh, yeah. for these two programs, and then the city will know how to contact the state, which will contact the feds. <clears throat> okay, now, Tony, you're doing a great job, and we don't have very many minutes left, so I see that there is a green and resilient retrofit program, the GRRP, and then is that what covers urban forestry, which is open through September? September of nineteen of 2029. I almost can't say that date. So those are two different programs, which I kind of like lumped together on my presentation that I gave to some Kansas City folks a couple months ago. Um, so the green and resilient. Um, what is that? I, I don't even have the name of that program. I'm pulling it up real quick. Um, the green and resilient retrofit program is a is a important program but it has a very narrow targeted um eligible entity which is folks who own section 8 affordable housing and so that's housing for low-income folks but it's not public housing it's privately owned and privately managed section so 8 owners, housing which I'm landlords sure. could access yeah. that money great 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 and then i want to be quick can, to, I, can i say real, oh. oh sure go ahead no yeah. don't i did want to add quickly that it's true that the landlords have to accept and install basically energy in, clean energy appliances in in rental properties energy efficiency projects maybe they want to put solar panels on but when they do that there are they do have to accept renter protections and so a good part of that is they can't just take all the money make a much nicer building and then evict all their their tenants that's not allowed so um it is that part that program is targeted toward landowners they're the people who own those buildings, of course, but the benefits are supposed to go to the renters, and there are some renter protections built into the program. That's genius. That's that's no wonder this has so many pages to it. So I want to talk about 
urban forestry because listeners, the Kansas City, Missouri ballot measure question two <clears throat> asks voter permission to sell five acres because it's unnecessary. And this is a mature woodlot near Northeast 32nd Terrace and North Holmes in Kansas City, Missouri. So Tony, would that could that be deemed an urban forest, five acres? So I I think the answer is yes. It would be up to, so the part of the Inflation Reduction Act that uh, relates to urban forestry is administered by the U.S. Forest Service. I think most of the goal there is to put trees like on sidewalks even. So like talk to increase urban tree canopy, which is a really important thing to do to um, mitigate high, you know, heat waves and reduce pollution in urban areas. And so I think the my understanding is that most of the money is going towards maybe something not exactly what you're talking about, which is a plot of land of five acres to put forest on, but more of like putting forest on urban streets. Well, this um, would be a park at five acres. I mean, it could be used as a park in the city. And um, I think that would apply. To, I, I'm not entirely sure. To, I, I should be clear. But I think if you went to the U.S. Forest Service website and just Googled U.S. Forest Service and urban tree canopy program you'll find the website and then there's also guidance on the competitions they're running and so they have a competition every year to award up, up for the next several years i think as you said until 2028 or 2029 and so that funding is going to be available every year for different competitions um and folks who are interested i, I would just recommend going to the u.s forest service website for urban tree canopy and checking to see if they're if that particular project, which I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with off the top of my head, but um, to check that website to see if the guidance shows that it would, their, the IRA money could be applied to that specific project. Thank you for that. Now, from the news generally, <clears throat> how we have seen this money used, electric school buses, everyone's aware of the news about electric school buses, there's a move for federal legislation about old, low-income schools. There are two legislators, federal legislators, that would like to use that money. There are credits and rebates for individuals for appliances, solar install, electric vehicles. I think entirely new heating and air conditioning systems in individuals' homes. And then in very recent news, there's a big story about hydrogen hubs. Um, what else did you want to share with our listeners, Tony? So those are all, I mean, you've covered a lot of the big picture items. There's one other program that I wanted to mention, which is the U.S. Department of Energy Loan Program Office has a program, and the name of it is the Energy Infrastructure Reinvestment Loan Program, or the EIR Loan Program. And through that program, which is available through September 2026, they can issue loans up until then. So there's still you know, three years to think about this one. But the idea is if you own a fossil fuel, some fossil fuel infrastructure, for example, a power plant or a gas station or 
a boiler in a dormitory, you know, a gas boiler in a university dormitory. You can go talk to the Department of Energy loan office and say, hey, I want to repurpose my fossil fuel infrastructure to clean energy. And I would like to clean up some of the fossil fuel damage that was caused at the site. I want to remediate the site. And the federal government, the DOE loan program office, can give that entity a very low interest loan, which is a good deal these days where interest rates are pretty high. And the money can then be used to either if the retire if the fossil fuel infrastructure isn't retired to retire it and clean up remediate the site and then build new clean energy at the site and there's a lot of different ways to conceive of that and so like a university might say well we want to get rid of our old gas boilers on campus and we're going to switch to clean energy and we're going to remediate the you know whatever damage that was done at the site they could do all those things by getting these low interest loans for the department of energy i think a really cool idea is if let's say there's someone who owns a bunch of gas stations in the kansas city let's say someone owns 10 gas stations in the kansas city metro area and they're thinking you know what i don't want to be in the gas selling business anymore i want to have ev charging stations and um convenience stores so they could get a loan from the federal government loan loan program office at the doe to do a project like that and that's just one example you could think of thousands of different ways to reuse fossil fuel infrastructure for clean energy i think the idea of that provision of the inflation reduction act which was a good one is that we have all this fossil fuel infrastructure in the us and some of it can be repurposed for clean energy needs and build the clean energy economy of the future that we all want and so that one is really up for people coming up with ways to solve problems in their communities of replacing fossil fuel infrastructure with clean energy. And there's a lot of, I mean, I mentioned a few ideas in that, in my spiel, but there are a lot of other ways. And if folks are interested, I would just Google Department of Energy, Loan Program Office, Energy Infrastructure Reinvestment Program, and you can go to the website and learn more about it. Energy Infrastructure Reinvestment reinvestment loan program yeah good yes. good tony yes. you you have done a fabulous job for us and i want to thank you very very much for being on eco radio kc my name is terry wilkie i'm talking with tony mendoza he's with the national sierra club tony thank you for being our guest it was a great program i had i had a, it was a pleasure talking to you terry hey Mander. How many of those extra cars or boats do you really need laying around? Your yard is starting to look like a junkyard. Did you know KKFI would take one or all of those vehicles running or not? You could get rid of them providing you have a title, and KKFI would receive the funds, which would be a tax deduction for you. Call KKFI at 816-931-3122. My name is Darnell. At the end of our hour, here is some environmental news for the week of October 23rd, 2023. Democracy Now! reports, the Amazon River has dipped to its lowest level in over a century amid protracted regional drought and wildfires. In the UK, Swedish climate activist Greta Thunberg was detained by London Police Tuesday at a protest outside the Energy Intelligence Forum, a major oil and gas industry conference. In Virginia, at least three environmental activists were arrested after locking themselves to equipment, temporarily shutting down the construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. 
Eagle Watch reports. The people of the Lower Elwha Qualam Tribe of Washington State have lived in the Lower Elwha River Valley and its neighboring bluffs on the Olympic Peninsula since time immemorial. The community is based around the Elwha River, which provides water and sustenance in the form of salmon fishing. More than a century ago, two dams were placed on the Elwha, blocking almost 90 miles of the river and its tributaries. The dams were were removed in August of 2014, but the tribe had to wait for a run of salmon that was healthy enough to be fished. Now, for the first time in more than 100 years, members of the tribe are fishing on the coho salmon on the free-flowing river of life. Kansas Reflector reports, the announcement that seven projects have been selected to receive $7 billion in seed money to kickstart the production of clean hydrogen across country was billed by President Joe Biden's administration as a major step toward slashing carbon emission, creating thousands of domestic jobs and positioning the United States as a clear energy leader. There's also criticism over a lack of transparency by the Department of energy around the application and selection process and doubts about the ways some of the hydrogen hubs intend to produce the gas. Hydrogen, which releases no carbon emission when burned, is seen broadly as a key part of cutting emissions from hard to decarbonize sectors of the economy, such as steel making and cement manufacturing, aviation, and shipping. There's controversy around blending hydrogen with natural gas to burn in power plants or for heating. How climate-friendly hydrogen is depends on how it's produced. Currently, more hydrogen in the U.S. is produced using natural gas, so-called gray hydrogen. Green hydrogen is produced by the electrolysis process with clean energy. Blue hydrogen is fossil fuel-derived but coupled with hydrogen capture in which CO2 is filtered out of emissions and stored. Four of the projects will use fossil fuels to produce hydrogen. And the other bipartisan infrastructure law, Congress, requires that at least one hub demonstrate the production of clean hydrogen from fossil fuels. We were really concerned with the number of projects that rely in part or in whole on fossil fuel-based hydrogen production said Julie McManera, a deputy policy director at the Union of Concerned Scientists Climate and Energy Program. For hydrogen to be a clean energy solution, it has to be cleanly produced and it has to be strategically used. Inside Climate News reports, after decades of industry resistance, federal safety officials are finally starting to regulate a huge part of the nation's pipeline system. Biden administration has begun imposing new rules on some of the 400,000 miles of gas pipes. Many are bigger and more dangerous pipes laid since the boom in fracking. Explosions on the line killed and injured people. At issue are the gathering lines. These are pipelines carried 
carrying gas directly from the drilling sites. They run mostly through rural areas and tie into processing plants, which in turn pump the gas in big interstate lines to population areas. The failure to impose any safety standards on the lines or even to know where they are has long been an omission in federal safety oversight. About 5% of the U.S. household have rooftop solar, a share that may seem to be a lot, but it looks low compared to places like Germany, about 20%, and Australia, about 30%. One of the reasons is that electricity is usually cheap in the United States, so it makes less sense on a financial basis for someone by rooftop solar. But this is changing. Utilities across the country have been raising their electricity rates by leaps and bounds with the approval of state regulators. The rate hikes reflect increases in utilities, costs of operation, and their desire to show growth and earnings. At what point is a customer's electric rate high enough to justify the rooftop solar on a financial basis? That's complicated, but generally 15% per kilowatt hour is a reasonable price point. That translates to a monthly bill of about $130 for a household with average electricity consumption. Missouri is currently a little over $0.12 a kilowatt hour, and Kansas is over $0.14. Climate Council Digest reports on November 7th, Kansas City, Missouri ballot measure question two asked voters permission to sell 5.399 acres because it is unnecessary. This is a mature woodlot near Northeast 32nd Terrace and North Homes. The site is a significant part of our urban forest. It is a link in a wildlife corridor. It provides summer cooling stormwater capture, a carbon sink, and biodiversity. Far from unnecessary, it is an irreplaceable remnant of our natural heritage. If you are a Kansas City, Missouri resident, please vote no on ballot measure number two. Thanks for listening to Eco Radio KC. Please tune in again next week or listen to our podcast at any time. Thank you for listening to Eco Radio KC on KKFI 90.1 FM, Kansas City Community Radio. Eco Radio is brought to you each week by a team of collaborators, including me, Craig Lugo, Terry Wilking, Brent Rysdale, Bob Grove, and Dave Mitchell. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and guests and not of KKFI and or the Midcoast Media Project. You can find our calendar and a podcast of each show on Eco Radio KC's Facebook page, as well as on our show page at kkfi.org. This is Richard Mabian, and you can send inquiries and comments to our email at kkfi.org forward slash contact or message us on our Facebook page. Up next is Fiesta Musicale, followed by Noche Magica. Our outro music is Big Yellow Taxi by Joni Mitchell. Don't it always seem to 
to go that you don't know what you've got till it's gone 